0: Jesus, it glory to God. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for an opportunity to come here once again to share your word, to grow in our relationship with you, and that is exactly what we endeavor to do, to explore and to understand the new creation that we have become in Christ and to fellowship with you more closely every day. We will pursue you today knowing that this is the only one that we guaranteed. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read that same scripture to you out of the New Living Translation because I think it's awesome. It's Galatians 6.14. That was the King James that I read to you. But the New Living Translation says it like this. As for me, Paul said... May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. That scripture is awesome. You see, boasting or bragging or any sort of pride is excluded when a person truly understands the grace of God. Romans 3:27 talks about that and he says boastings excluded because of the law of faith. Those who practice legalism or works in order to or your being good and your good deeds in order to obtain relationship with God have got it backwards. And when you put the cart in front of the horse, you don't go very far. (laughs) But when these people who take pride in their good deeds and self-efforts, their religious exercises, they always boast in what they do. Instead of the cross. Instead of what Jesus has done. And this is a mistake. Notice here that Paul's critics. This was in the Galatian church. Where he was blasting them for having so quickly. After beginning in the grace of God. By the spirit. Had succumbed to another gospel. He said which is no gospel at all. These people were telling them, yeah, Jesus did all this, but you have to do all these other things too. Paul said, then it's no longer grace. If that's what you think, then you've fallen from grace. His critics always gloried in the carnal, fleshy things that they accomplished. But Paul... Gloried only in what Jesus had done for him through the cross. One way to discern true men and women of God is to see where their boasting lies. Those who boast in their own accomplishments I find to be suspect. While those who boast in the Lord are the true and faithful witnesses. Notice here too that When Paul's describing what has taken place in his life and heart because of the cross, there's a double crucifixion going on there. The world was crucified unto Paul, and Paul was crucified unto it. This means that the world system had nothing to offer Paul anymore. And Paul had nothing to offer the world outside of Christ It's one thing to remove yourself from the world system, but it's quite another thing to say that you've come to a place where the world system has been removed from you. Or you have been removed from it. In other words, they don't want anything you have because all you have to offer them is Jesus. (laughs) Paul had done both. His only purpose in life was to bring glory unto the risen Christ. And that's a great place to be. Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. This young, reluctant prophet. (laughs) Boy, he did an amazing job, though, for someone who started out so reluctantly. Once he found out it wasn't his power or strength that God was the one working through him, he went ahead and did it. Amen? Amen. He prophesied and he said something. He quoted God one time. He said, thus says the Lord in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Solomon was the wisest man ever. But he got into folly. He got into all kind of corruption and things he shouldn't have. He even allowed other false idols to come in. And he did a lot of things that being so wise, he knew God did not want him to do. Thankfully, in the end, I think he did come back to God. But his wisdom didn't help him relating to God. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Remember Goliath? The biggest, strongest man in the world, I would say, at the time. But God's smallest, this little ruddy sheep herder, killed him with one stone, (coughs) cut his head off, and took it over there to, I believe, the same place where Jesus ended up being crucified. Jeremiah goes on in the 24th verse, he says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What we can do or what we have in this life, it doesn't matter at all, really. All these things are perishing. It's all about who we know. The world says that, and they're talking about who you know in this world that can can get you an open door or something. But when we say it, I'm talking about knowing God. The real meaning of eternal life, according to John seventeen three, when Jesus was praying. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So knowing God is the only thing. That will grant us happiness and fulfillment in this life. And grant us entrance into his presence in the next. Amen. Amen. The greatest treasure of all is understanding and knowing God. Nothing is greater. Jesus provided the grace that we now enjoy. Provided everything through the atonement, through the cross... Through his perfect life, death, sacrifices, burial, and resurrection, and enthronement. The grace of God has been fulfilled. Forgiveness for our sins, we all understand that part. But healing for our bodies is just as much a part of our inheritance in Christ. All the love, joy, and peace you will ever need for this life has already been granted to you. It's in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. It's already yours. He's given us the truth that came with Him as well. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The truth of His life, the truth of His Word, the truth about God and the way to Him, to know Him, to fellowship with Him and His Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit And to be with Him forever. John. In the Gospel of John. The third chapter. Talking about this way. To be with God. Let's just look at it. Break it down a little bit. John chapter 3. I'll start at the first verse. Trying to get to the third. And I'll stop whenever the Lord tells me to. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus John chapter 3 this was a good man who believed in Jesus he was one of the religious leaders of the day but he came to Jesus at night says Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews this man came to Jesus by night and said to him Rabbi or teacher we know that you are a teacher come from God we know you're from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Salvation. See, Nicodemus believed in Jesus. He believed he came from God, but he wasn't born again. There's more than just knowing that Jesus is who he says he is. A Christian, a true Christian has yielded his life. It's not a life-changing event. It's a life-exchanging event. How's that? Salvation or being born again requires us putting faith in the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. The grace of God that brings salvation, it says in Titus 2, 11 and 12, has appeared to all men. But not all men are saved. Why? Because we have to release faith, trust in His finished work, in His provision for our salvation, and thereby be saved. So we learn to use the faith that God has given us Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. These little words are containers of faith going in. We learn to use it. Faith, Our faith is the hand that takes from God all the things provided by Jesus through the atonement, the grace of God. And by doing that, we enter into salvation. We enter into what the Bible says, refers to in many cases as a race. This salvation experience is referred to as a race. And I just want to read some of those scriptures to you. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Paul, toward the end of his life, writing to someone he thought very highly of, this young pastor that he had raised up in the faith. He said, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all of you who have loved his appearing. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at the 24th verse, Paul again said, Do you not know that in a race talking about this race, this life, this salvation experience that we have entered into. All the runners run. Everybody runs. He said, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we do, we but we, an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's a sobering passage of Scripture for pastors especially. This is just a gift that God has created me to be for the body. But I could just as well go and sit over there with all of you and hear the same message because I'm in the same boat. We're all in this race. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... And sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His Father in majesty. I have lots of commentary in my mind on all of these scriptures, but I don't want to say anything. I don't want to add to them. They're powerful to me. 2 Timothy two Timothy 2.5 Paul said, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What does he mean? He said he has... When he said he has finished the faith what did he follow up with i have kept i have finished the race i have kept the faith we are called to remember these last few weeks only thing that matters now is faith expressing itself through love none of the old commandments of the law and all those things we will fulfill those just by working out of the righteousness that He has placed in us, the creation that He has made us to be, which is just like Him. We don't have to struggle and strive to achieve those things. We already created righteous and truly holy, and now we just live it out. Trusting in Jesus and His finished work and what His Word says about us, expressing that faith through love. Because you can get caught up into... Learning about the powerful forces that drive the grace of God and the faith of God, and how to use the faith of God to obtain the things provided by grace. And you can get caught up into works if you're not careful. The litmus test is love. Because God says you can give everything you have and do all these wonderful things. But if it's not motivated by love, it profits you nothing. Motivation. The motivation. The way to keep your motivation being love is to focus on His love for you. To understand your worth, your value, is to look at the price paid for you and to take it very personal. Paul said, I don't count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Acts 20.24 If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He warned the Galatian church when he went back to them when they had started trying to add so much to what Jesus had already accomplished to undermine His finished work on their behalf and the power of the, of the gospel. He said, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I put this in here to remind you that there are always going to be those who try to undermine your race try to hinder you whether they do it knowingly or unknowingly it's no matter what does matter is that you're aware that these obstacles will come but I want to tell you just like you're running around that track that Debbie walks around every morning and you've got a race to run and you're doing well and you're way ahead of all the others but then you're going to find that in the stands all around there are critics critics of your race Or even those who are for you, but they want to tell you how you could run it better. You could do this and that and you shouldn't have done this. You should and then when you stop your race and you start arguing with the protesters, it's hindering your race. You're gonna have to learn to put on your blinders and to not be hindered by those critics. Do what God tells you to do. Stay close to the Lord. Learn to recognize His voice over the enemies. The only way to do that is by spending time with Him in the Word. Pushing this thing around on the floor with your nose saying, Lord, I don't understand. Help me, Holy Spirit. Man, He will. That's what He's here for. Paul said, not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You've got to remember there's no future in the past. I know many, 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 many people. Many Christians. Who struggling in their race. Struggling in accomplishing the things that God has for them to do. All the wonderful things. Even seeing the things that He has for them to do. Because all they're doing is looking back. They can't let go. They can't believe this, that God has forgiven them and changed them and that he's forgotten about it. And he really, really is not leaving it as an option for you to do the same. He's saying, I paid the highest price for your sin. I have set it. As far as the east is from the west, that's how much I love you. And your sins, I remember no more. You've got to quit remembering them. Quit bringing them to my remembrance, he says. (laughs) Why do you keep doing that? It's only unbelief that would cause us to do that. And really, it's a lack of dying to ourselves. We're not called to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior so that He can make our life better. We're called to accept Jesus Christ, to die to ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him. Let Him live through us. The life that you once lived, you have to forget about it. The plans you had for yourself, you have to forget about them. You have to seek Him and find the will of of the Father for your life. The plan that He wrote for your life. And it has much more to do with Him and the kingdom of God than it does for you. It doesn't mean that the kingdom of God doesn't need doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. Of course it does. (laughs) And as these times progress and the culture we live in, we're going to need more lawyers Because I can tell you right now, there are some parts of this country where the messages I preach from this pulpit I would be probably sued or imprisoned for. And all I preach is the truth of the Word of God. Because I don't care about anything else. I belong to Him. I want to read that. From Hebrews 12 again, since therefore we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and deceiving at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. When you get tired and you feel persecuted, always look to Jesus. He went through everything and was tempted in every way, as you are, yet without sin. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. He said, I chasten, I discipline those whom I love. That's what he said in Revelation. Now, does that sound like an angry God? He wants to zap you. He said, no, just like you discipline your children. Because you love them, it should be. Same with God. But I want to tell you something. This is how he does it. This is how he does it. I can prove it to you through scripture, after scripture, after scripture. God doesn't use things like sickness, disease, strife, divorce, poverty to teach you lessons. We do those things to ourselves for the most part, but the devil is the author of all that sickness and disease and the things that, for some reason, the church, in many cases, has perpetuated these lies from the devil that God uses those things to teach his children. And that's so sad. Nothing's changed, really, in 2,000 years. They were accusing Jesus of the same things. And that's when he came and said, No, no, no. Wait a minute. The thief, the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you to enjoy the abundant life of an overcomer free from sickness, sin, disease, guilt, shame, and all the other things that he paid for through the atonement. And he's he's here to help us with that. Isaiah 40:28 Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Look at John 14. John, the 14th chapter, we started talking about The cross of Jesus, this salvation, this race that we've entered into. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And then on the last faithful night of his life, he starts here in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. He'd just been telling them he was about to die and suffer a terrible death. And then he turns around and says, don't be troubled. (laughs) Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas, we refer to him sometimes as doubting Thomas. He said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I said all that to get to this. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I'm a way. He said, "I'm, I'm the only way. Jesus goes on in here to talk about the fact that if you've seen him, you've seen God. He was God. He is God. And He's the only way to God, the Father. People in our culture and the times we live, they have muddied the waters so much on this, blocked out large portions of the Bible, excluded things because they don't fit in with their doctrine, their teachings, and their traditions. This is in the Christian faith, which is stop being Christian when a Christian leader stands before the world media with Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs and every other form of religious leader and says that we all just doing what we know to get to the same God that's blasphemy and it's not the truth as the word describes the truth and just because someone is a good fighter or a good singer or a good actor and they profess boldly how they did it their way that is not the way way has sent many people to hell doing things their way there is only one way His name is Jesus Christ. His life is in the words of this book. And He is is the only way. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us in this race. Jesus said it's good that I go away because when He was here in the flesh He could only be in one place at a time with one person at a time, maybe a group like this. But now He can be with all of us all the time by agency of the Holy Spirit who's the third person of the Trinity and you need to get to know him if you don't know him because he's the one sent here to lead and guide you and provide for you to lead you all the way through this life (coughs) to your final destination with your heavenly bridegroom. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is a counselor and a guide to help us in our everyday lives. If you read, I'll give you an assignment for this week. Read the 8th chapter of Romans and it'll help you. And Galatians, the 5th chapter. John, the 16th chapter. (laughs) You need to learn about the Holy Spirit. Romans eight, John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. That's right. <laughs> Romans eight, Galatians five. Amen. There's a lot more. Yeah. But start there. You run out, come back, I'll give you some more. I want to tell you one other little tidbit for free. That the Holy Spirit loves you, but he's here to honor Jesus to glorify Jesus and the Father. He seeks no glory or honor of his own. But he's a gentleman and he's not going to impose his will on your life or his help. He will always try to get it to you. But he needs to be invited. And he will never operate inside of pride Humility is is essential for a successful Christian life. Humility as a Christian doesn't mean you walk around with your head hanging down and talking about what an old sinner you are and unworthy. That's not humility at all because we're learning about the new creation. God says we're very valuable. God says we're very worthy. So, it's only apart from Christ that we're unworthy. But we're never apart from Him anymore if we've received Him of our Lord and Savior. And so, true humility is just our understanding and acknowledgement of total dependence on God for everything. And give Him credit for everything good in us, in our lives that we have, anything we can do. Because without Him, you wouldn't have any of it. You couldn't even draw the next breath And you certainly wouldn't have salvation and relationship with God without Jesus. Galatians 5 I'll just touch on that for a second. The 16th verse and then we'll finish. Paul said, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I encourage you to reconsider what you think about Romans 7. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. When he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And this and that. And the things I want to do, I don't do. It makes it sound like he's schizophrenic. And people explain that away by saying, oh, well, he's talking about pre-salvation. And then Romans 8 is life in the Spirit. Now he's been saved and so he's not conflicted. Not true. Paul right here in Galatians 5 is saying the same thing. To, to saved people, to Christians. He says, for the dev- desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. He's not saying that we have a dual nature. The old sinful nature has been evicted. But we still have this flesh. And we have a choice. We have free will. And when we decide to obey it instead of the Spirit of God, the Word of God, then we will be conflicted. But it's a choice now. Nothing compelling you. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You see, the power of sin was the law. But now you're under grace. Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. This version leaves out murder, but that's in there too. And things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit The fruit of the Spirit of God which dwells in you and wants to live through is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Amos 3.3, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? That's so what I was trying to tell our, our little four-month-old puppy yesterday. I was walking her up and down the street. She's doing really good, though. So smart. We're just stewards of God's manifold grace. Caretakers. We're just ambassadors here. This is not your home. God loves you. Jesus went to prepare a place for you. And he wants you to focus on his finished work, his extravagant grace regarding you. All the things, everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3, Ephesians 1.3, already been given to you. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. You pray anything according to his will, he hears you. And you know if he hears you you have the petitions of your heart. Amen. Amen. Mark eleven twenty four. When you pray, believe that you have received when you pray yes. what you've asked for. And then you will get it, he says. Yes. Seems crazy, but it's true. No, right. Why? Because there is time in the spiritual realm. I can prove that to you through Scripture. And sometimes your provision is on the way, manifest on the way. <clears throat> New body parts... This month's mortgage, Amen. <laughs> All needs. peace, love, and joy, it's already been granted, you see, and we just want to stand in faith. The world says, I'll believe it when I see it. God says, believe it and you'll see it. That's right. Amen? That's yeah, right. Amen. Yeah. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for changing it up according to your will. You did not give me that cough, but you used it for your glory. Amen. You use all things, cause all things to work for the good. For those who love you, and called according to your purpose. I am so excited today, Father, to be a part of your kingdom. And I'm thankful for all of these here. Thankful not that demons are subject to your name at our command. Because you've given us this authority. And they are. But we glory because our names are written in the book of life in heaven. That's all that matters. That our names are written in heaven and that we help others too. Get to that same place. Oh, what a wonderful salvation we've entered into. Let's not neglect it. Amen. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, i got to move. Right into the baby dedication here, and I'm going to make it simple, um, but not all that brief because this is a huge thing. And even if, even if it's, even if it's uh, just our man Garrett, it's all it's just as awesome. And this will benefit you as much as it does. Him, Amen? Amen. We talked about. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk for a bit, and then I'll, I'll. I'll instruct you every step of the way. Okay, so just relax. We talked about the race, this race that we've entered into, this race of uh, salvation that God has made all the provision for along the way. This journey through this life to our destination. With our Lord Jesus. We talked about this race as being the one God planned for us. A good race, a victorious race. But not everyone enters into God's race. It's a choice. So today we will dedicate this little one to God and dedicate ourselves to watch over him as God's as God prepares for his race. Amen? Amen. To teach him and to lead him. Challenging Satan's claim on his life. Resisting the enemy and embracing God. Today we'll dedicate Garrett to God. And dedicate ourselves to watch over him. As God prepares him for his race. It says in Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Genesis 18 19 says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children. Talking about Abraham. God says, I chose him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. Matthew seven, twelve teaches us that whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, if you just do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you'll never break a law. You'll never be outside of what God's desire for your life is because you'll be operating in love, you see. That's the golden rule as people know it today and Jesus is the one who wrote it. Read a few quotes I have found about God's wisdom regarding children. From Charles Spurgeon, a great man of God who lived some time ago. He said, Let no Christian parents fall into the delusion that Sunday school, and I'll add that any other school for that matter or any other place that we leave them, is intended to ease them from their personal duties. The first and most natural condition of things is for Christian parents to train up their own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Josh McDowell said, We do not develop habits of genuine love automatically. We learn by watching effective role models, most specifically by observing how our parents express love for each other day in and day out. <laughs> Anyway, Chuck Swindoll is another pastor, current time. He says, you, you want to mess up the minds of your children? Here's how. Guaranteed. Rear them in a legalistic, tight context of external religion where performance is more important than reality. Fake your faith. Sneak around and pretend your spirituality. Train your children to do the same. Embrace a long list of do's and don'ts publicly, but hypocritically practice them privately yet never own up to the fact that it's hypocrisy. Act one way, but live another, and you can count on it. Emotional and spiritual damage will occur because, he says, each day of our lives, we make deposits in the memory banks of our children. (laughs) Melissa, come on up here. Just ask you to come and stand up here. Debbie, and any, if you want to come up here with your grandma and Shoot, yeah, we love this little one. Y'all just relax there, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go through this, talk to you a little bit here. God delights in His children; He takes great pleasure in them. They are one of the greatest gifts He gives to parents. Amen. <laughs> Psalm 127:3 proclaims that. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, and children are a reward from Him. Because children are a gift from God, it's natural that Christian parents present and dedicate their child to God. In the gospel, we read that people brought little children and babies to Jesus so that He might place His hands on them and pray for them. In the same way, Melissa today brings little Garrett presenting First herself, and then Garrett, before the Lord our God. It's a wonderful thing. She's here with Debbie, her mother, who has a great role in this child's life as well. And all of us who are here and love her and participating in her day-to-day life. Melissa, I call your attention to the commands of God recorded in Holy Scripture. Deuteronomy 6 starting at the fourth verse, says, The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus said these were the greatest commandments. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart, impress them on your child, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk down the road, when you lie down and when you get up used to be a song, a hit song in the old days. It said, teach your children well. Remember that? Crosby, Seals, Nash, and Young. Teach your children well. Indeed, there's no higher calling for parents. Proverbs 10.1 reminds us that a wise son brings joy to his parents, but a foolish son, grief to his mother. The best thing moms and dads can teach their child is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that it's the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. In other words, the successful application of all that Garrett learns in life depends on him first learning to fear and follow God. So the church urges parents to love God with every ounce and fiber of their being and teach their children to do the same. As you love God and one another, you will model this before your children and you will offer them a wonderful life of love for God that they want for themselves. Parents, by coming forward in the church before God and His people declare their desire to dedicate themselves and their children to the Lord. Is this true, Melissa? If so, say, I do. I do. Amen. I do. So, having come freely, I ask now that you enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and His people. So that Garrett may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you, Melissa, vow by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Garrett a Christian home of love and peace? To raise him in the truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline. And to encourage him to one day trust Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I I would like Debbie to read something to you. Proverbs 17.6 declares, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. There is great pride in seeing a new generation of family. Is there not? and how that joy is reinforced when children are raised to fear God. To this end, I ask you the following question. So that Garrett may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you vow by God's help to pray for and encourage Melissa in her effort to raise Garrett in the fear of the Lord so that Garrett might receive our Lord's guidance and instruction? Yes, I do. Finally, I ask the church to make a vow as well. As believers in the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to teach the gospel story to our younger generation. In fact, Old Testament prophet Joel commands us to tell of God's work to our children and let our children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. So I direct my questions now to the congregation. Being present in God's house today, do you hereby declare yourselves to be the children of God because you trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life? If this is true, please respond by saying, we do. We do. Would you please stand? Having come freely, I ask now that you make the following commitment before God and those who stand before you so that Garrett may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you vow by God's help to be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ to help Melissa to be be faithful to God and to help teach and train her child in the ways of the Lord so that he might one day trust him as Savior? And Lord, if you accept this responsibility, please respond by saying, we do. We do. We do. Heavenly Father, Melissa has brought Garrett before you today. I pray, first of all, for her as a parent. I pray that you would give her grace and wisdom to carry out her responsibilities, and help her to be godly example in her home. I pray that there would be uh, that would be a home of peace, a place where. Each one lives for the other and everyone lives for you, Father. Amen. And for Garrett, today we dedicate him to you. I pray that he would be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and that they would that he would be trained in the way that he should go. And I pray that one day Garrett will trust in you, Lord as his personal Savior for the forgiveness of his sin and the promise of eternal life. Amen. 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 One second. Jesus loved the little children, children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in the Jesus loved the little children of the world.